0: Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Eldridge. So we're going to take a break from Mark for two weeks. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about um, Stonebridge, which I don't enjoy. And that's why we, we just we don't do that. You don't you didn't get up and come to church to hear us talking about our church. So. We don't do this often, but I do think it's important, and it being our 15 year birthday or anniversary or whatever seemed like a good time. So, next two weeks, I'm going to talk about four things. We have these commitments, we call them anchors. They're the things that tether us to who God is and how God is working. Really, to how God is working. That's probably a better way of seeing it. These anchors keep us connected to how God wants to work in us and how God wants to work through us. Isaiah 61 talks about an oak of righteousness. And in my mind, when we started Stonebridge way back when, that was what I was looking for. What does it look like for us as a church to help people become oaks of righteousness? And when I think about trees, I think about their roots and wanting those roots to grow deep so that those trees can stand up when things get difficult and branches that are broad, branches that spread out a long way. And those were, so those are the two things that were in my mind. And these anchors kind of fall under both of those categories. There are two of them, and the ones we're going to look at this morning, which really have to do with what God is doing in us. There are roots, Romans um, eight twenty nine that God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of Jesus in Galatians 5, 25, we want to be led by the spirit. So those two things we think about what God is doing in us. Next week, we'll talk about our branches. What does God want to do? Through us. How does he want to work through us in our community? You heard a couple of people, Scott and Susan, I know I could hear them from the back, shared about how God has spoken to them and led them in some, they called it doing their deal. That's one of the phrases that we use. How does God want to work through us in our community? And that's Ephesians 2.10 and then Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7, that God plants us somewhere. We talk about finding your Marietta. Stonebridge is situated in this city. The city's not better than any other. It's just where God has put us. And so we want to do our best to bless the community where he has put us. And we want everybody to figure out, well, where has God put me? It might not be in Marietta. It might be in Kennesaw. It might be Ackworth. It might be Athens. It might be some other place. And what does it look like for you to take responsibility for that? So that's what we'll talk about next week. So in and out or in and through. I'm going to give you a ton of information, too much for one morning. There's tons of slides. They'll all be posted tomorrow when the sermon goes up. They're really there just they're not necessarily there for this morning. The idea would be that these are things, as you get into small groups, Matt mentioned that, these are, the, these are the things your small group is helping you grow in, whether that's explicitly the topic or not. All of our small group leaders are aware, like, this, this is what we want to see. These are, these are the areas where we want to see people grow. When I think about our church, why did God call us to plant a church? There are already plenty of good churches in Marietta. These four things, it's, it's kind of it for me. If we can see more and more people growing in these four anchors, then I think we'll see more and more change happen in our city. So, first 2, Romans 8, 29. I just mentioned that one. God, those whom God has foreknown, those we foreknew, he's predestined. He decided beforehand to conform us into the image of Jesus so that Jesus could be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. So God's forming a family He adopts us into his family as sons and daughters. And then he says, I want to to make y'all look as much like your older brother as I can. Our older brother is Jesus. And we know that's not physical, that's internal, that's our heart that's character. So this is something that God has been in God's mind, that idea of predestined, something that he's, we would say he's always wanted to do, at least all the way back to the fall. Adam and Eve created the image of God. They fall, sin disfigures or mars that image, and then God has been working to restore it. He's been working to restore that image in all of his creation, particularly in his children. And so that's what God is doing. What exactly does that begin to look like? In our life, what is the character of Jesus? Galatians 5 lists the nine fruit of the Spirit. Those will be behind me. There's definitions. I'm not going to take time to read them. You can click a picture or you can um, look at them tomorrow when we post them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self control. That is the character of Jesus. So when we talk about being conformed into his image, that's what God is trying to do. He's trying to make us more loving, more joyful, more patient more kind, more to have more self-control, that's the work that he's doing. In a lot of ways, though, that's just a list of terms with definitions. It's good to internalize that. It's good to keep that in your heart and in your mind. I think one of the places where we miss understanding and growing in the character of Jesus is actually in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A lot of our Bibles have Jesus' words in red, and so that's what we're drawn to is what he says. And we should be. He's the wisest man who ever lived. And so we want to grab onto his words. Oftentimes, character is seen most through what people do. And so I want to encourage you. I've said this before. You don't need to go a long time without reading one of those four books. I love the kind of read the Bible in a year plans that people are on. My only issue with those is sometimes you read those four gospels and then it's a whole year before you circle back, which is a long time. I'm not do it. You want to read the Bible in a year? Do it. I would just say. Keep those, maybe space out Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over the course of the year. All of the books are important. Those four are the most important. They're the clearest revelation we have of who Jesus is and he's the clearest revelation of who the father is. We gotta get to know him better. And I would encourage you the next time you read one of those four books, if your Bible has Jesus's words in red, absolutely grab onto those. Also look at what's in black. Look at what Jesus is doing And what does that say about who he is? One of the most iconic scenes in all of the Gospels is Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. John 13, what does that say about who he is? That he washes the feet of someone who betrays him, someone who denies him, and 10 people who desert him. And he knows all of that. John says before he starts, he knows all that stuff's about to happen. And he washes their feet. Who's doing that? We have a hard time washing the feet of people we love much less people are about to stab us in the back, say they don't even know us, and run away when we need them the most. What does that say about his character? What does it say about the character of Jesus that he constantly is touching people physically who probably haven't been touched in years because whatever their condition is, is considered contagious, it's unclean, and so nobody's gonna touch them. They've gotta go through this rigmarole to be clean again. What does that say about him? What does it say about him that when he is literally dying on the cross, he says to John, I want you to take care of my mom. What does that say about his character? So I just encourage you, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, absolutely read the red. We want to his words are life and we want to know them. Also, look at what's in black. Look at his character, what you see through his actions. Ask the Holy Spirit, what does this say about him? It begins to put some skin or some, some flesh on love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Those aren't just abstract definitions. They begin to take on life as we see them lived out in Jesus. So that, that, that's, that's the goal for us. That's the ideal. That's the work that God is doing. He's, he's trying to make us look like him what what's kind of our part in the process really it's just saying yes we're we're just yielding this is work that god is doing and we're we're surrendering to that but i think it can it can come in a couple of different ways one i'm calling accidental that's not the greatest word but it's the one that i came up with and the other is more intentional i don't believe god causes all the circumstances in our life some of you do and that's okay uh, I don't, but I believe he uses all of the circumstances in our life. And I believe he wants to use all of them to make us more like Jesus. It's kind of the accidental thing. It's like, oh, this happened. It's, it's, it's material for God to work with. And un- I don't know if it's unfortunate or not, but it's re- reality. The things that are difficult for us are usually the most useful to him. And that, that can be hard, but it's true. It's true. The things that we find the most painful are often the things that are the most helpful for him when it comes to forming and shaping our character. If you've ever kind of gotten rubbed sandpaper, I don't know why you would rub sandpaper on yourself, but if you wanted to, (laughs) it doesn't feel good. It hurts. That's, That's what those difficult situations are for us. They're sandpaper that God uses to round off some of the rough edges in us. So for, for many of us, when we're suffering, however we want to define that, we get focused on our circumstances and our prayer is God fix it. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, a, that, that's something every child says to their parents, I hurt, make it better. So there's, there's nothing wrong with praying that God fix it. I would just encourage you, in addition to the God fix it prayer, add this, God, how do you want to use this to make me more like Jesus. Like you're already suffering, so you may as well get something out of it. If you're already experiencing the pain, at least get some benefit from it. God, how do you want to use this to make me more joyful or more patient? How do you want to use this to teach me more about self-control or faithfulness? Ask him the question because that's what he's doing. If you ever wonder, what is God doing in my life? He's always working to make you more like Jesus, always. That's what he's predestined us for, what he's decided beforehand to do. So every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every week of every month of every year of your life, that's what he's doing. You always know that. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the difference between, between being a lump of clay in the hands of a potter and a block of marble. We don't wanna be the marble. It takes a hammer and a chisel to form and shape that. We wanna be the clay that's soft and that's easily moldable, shapeable. That's not a word. We wanna, that's what we wanna be. God, how, how do you wanna use this difficulty to make me more like Jesus? My prayer is that you would fix it You get me out of these circumstances as quickly as possible, but until you do, use it and help me to cooperate. I don't want to fight against what you're trying to do. If I'm going to have to experience this pain anyway, I might as well learn something from it. And then maybe I don't have to go through the pain again in the future. It's those, that's what I'm calling the accidental. It's just the stuff of life that becomes sandpaper that God can, can use to form us and to shape us. And then there's the intentional, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's you or me deciding, hey, this is an area where I feel like I'm coming up short. God help me grow. I do one a year. So for the past seven years, I've, I've grabbed on end of December, beginning of January. I pick something and say, all right, this is, this is the thing. It doesn't do me any good to compare Monday to Tuesday. I hadn't changed that much. It doesn't do me a whole lot of good to compare January to February because I hadn't changed that much. But over the course of six months or nine months or 12 months, God can do some work in me. This is long and slow work of a lifetime. Think about how long it takes to go from a seed to fruit. That's a process. This type of character formation, it's deep and it takes some time. So for me, it's one thing a year. The thing I'm working on this year is to be still. That's And that's very, I I, I get really practical. I'm not, I don't do this big kind of God, make me more patient. That's too broad for me. So what I'm thinking about this year, and when I pray three, four, five times a week, I'm saying, God, this morning, God, help me to be still. When somebody's talking to me, my mind's always running. Help me to focus in on them and what they're saying. There's in my house, it has been said multiple times (laughs) Can you stop walking when I'm talking to you? I'm going somewhere. Just talk louder. That's not, I, stop, be still, be still. That probably fits under the idea of self-control, maybe. It's very practical for me. One year it was apologize quickly. Don't wait, just do that. Practice that. One year it was encourage frequently. So those are the kinds of things that for me, they're they're very practical, they're nitty gritty, they're micro level, but they fit under those nine attributes. And I'm trying to be intentional and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to get way better from January 1st to January 2nd. I'm trying to get some better from January 1st to December 31st. Long and deep work, forming and shaping. That's the intention. I'd encourage you to think about that. You can't, it's not nine things at once. What's one? If if you're not sure, just listen to the people around you. They'll tell you where you need to grow. They will. Just listen. God help me to hear, and they will. They'll let you know. Second, Galatians five twenty five. We want to be led by the spirit. Those who, because we live by the spirit, we want to be led by him or we want to to keep in step with him or we want to follow him in every area of our life. This is nebulous. This one can be hard to grab onto. Being conformed into the image of Jesus, I feel like that's something that we can get pretty easily, at least intellectually, what's going on. There are these attributes, there's this character and we need to ask the Lord to make us more like that. To be led is much more difficult. Actually, in 15 years, one of the things that, we've, that, that people in our church have had the biggest struggle with is the idea that God speaks to us. That's, that's a hard thing for some people. It, it can almost sound heretical. It can sound like, well, what about the Bible? And are you, and are you saying that what God says to me, saying to everybody? And there are all kinds of kind of rabbit trails that we can run down where we can get lost so I want to try to unpack that a little bit. To me, what's most helpful when I think about being led by the Holy Spirit is actually to think of Jesus as my good shepherd. John 10, Jesus is a good shepherd. His sheep know he knows his sheep. They know him. We know his voice. We follow him. You can read that passage. Psalm 23, probably the most well-known passage in the Old Testament. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me by quiet waters, restores my soul, guides me in right paths for his name's sake. This idea of Jesus as a shepherd, and to keep in mind, Near Eastern or Middle Eastern shepherds, they led their sheep from the front. And that's really important. They're not behind, they're in front. And their sheep follow after them. So a couple of contrasts that may be helpful. We're led... We're not dragged. You're not a dog on a leash. And Jesus is trying to pull you in a direction that you don't want to go. He doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit urges. The Holy Spirit encourages. The Holy Spirit does not coerce. He's not gonna make you do something that you've dug in your hills and say, I'm just not going to do. Have you ever seen a sheep on a leash? No. And they're little bitty small sheep brains. They're following the shepherd because they know whatever it means for a sheep to know. If I follow that guy, I'm going to get food, I'm going to get water, and he's going to take care of me. There's a a yielding on our part, a submissiveness, a surrender on our part. We're led, we're not Lord. You're not a fish. That your flesh, the world, and the devil lure you. One of the New Testament words for sin is to cross a boundary. So I think about a path, and God wants me to walk this path. It's never straight. He wants me to walk on this path. And what the my flesh and the world and the devil are trying to do is they're trying to entice me. Just step off. Cross that boundary. Move off the path that God has laid out for you. You're not a fish. Jesus doesn't entice, he leads and expects us to follow. You're a sheep, you're not a cow, you're not driven. Ranchers drive cows from behind, shepherds lead sheep from the front. We can be driven by some things that in our society are considered good. We can be driven by desire, desire to achieve. A lot of you have that disease, a desire to succeed a desire to make a mark, to make a difference. Our high school, which I went to and I love, a desire to be somebody, all of those things can, be, can drive us, push us from behind. Jesus leads us from the front. We can be driven by fear, fear of being left behind or left out, fear of losing, fear of failing, fear of being poor, whatever that is. We can be driven by expectations, our own expectations of ourselves or other people's expectations of us. We can be driven by wounds in our heart. Hurts that, we ha- that, uh, that are not healed can drive us to make all kinds of bad decisions. None of that stuff is the way the Holy Spirit wants to lead us. Jesus is our good shepherd. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart. God within you. He wants to lead you and guide you to green pastures and quiet waters and down right paths for his namesake. You know his voice. And you're going, I don't know. You know his voice. He says you do. You might not recognize it, but you know it. How does he speak to you? Three primary ways. The Bible, directly through the Holy Spirit and through the church. The Bible, everything you need to know about God, yourself and how to relate. That's in the Bible. The Bible is true for all people in all places at all times. If somebody hurts you, you don't need to say, well, what should I do? You should forgive them. That's what the Bible says always. If you're having a hard time with your parents, you don't have to say, what should I do? You honor them. That's what the Bible says. Those things are always true for all people in all places at all times. Then you have the Holy Spirit, again, given to each one of us, and he guides us down that path that's individual and unique, very personal. The Bible doesn't tell you who to marry. You can, if you look in here, it's not in there. The Bible doesn't tell you what career path to pursue. Doesn't tell you where to live. Those things aren't in here. God would have to give each one of us our own book if that's how he wanted to lead us. But rather than that, he has taken up residence in our heart and said, I'll guide you in those things. Keep in step with me. If he gave us a book, what most of us would do is we'd read the book about our life and we'd forget about him. He wants to keep us close. So on those personal, unique, individual decisions, big and small, we're led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through our thoughts. So for me, if I have a thought that's better than me, whether it's kinder than I am, nicer than I am, what that I think, hey, that may be the Lord. Some people he speaks to in pictures. If you've ever had Kim pray for you, here's what she says. Mm, I see a picture every time. That's how God speaks to her. Some people, it's feelings. It's like a gut thing. They call it their gut or their intuition. Those are ways the Holy Spirit speaks to us directly. And he speaks to us through the church. I don't mean that in this room of 250 people, you have a decision, you need to stand up and we all have to agree on it. People who love you and love God, and you need three to five of them. Who are those people who love you and love God? It's gotta be both. If they just love you, they'll probably just tell you what you wanna hear. If they just love God, then they probably are not invested enough in you to actually have those conversations. Who loves both God and you? Are you bringing things to them? That's hard for us. We're rugged individualists. And to think I'm going to submit major decisions in my life to other people, we don't do that. Again, we like people to affirm the direction that we're already heading. The bigger the decision, you more, the more you want all three of those things to line up. What's the Bible saying? The Holy Spirit's never going to say anything that contradicts the Bible. What am I sensing from the Lord personally when I pray? Where's their peace? That's one of the ways the Lord leads us. Paths of peace. Where's their peace? And then what are the people who love me and love God? What are they saying? And again, the bigger the decision, the more I'm looking for all three of those circles to line up. And if they don't, I'm um, time out. I'm pressing pause to say, all right, what, what, what am I missing? Any one of those in isolation can be manipulated. Even the Bible can That's why we have 27,000 denominations. We read it different. Even that can be manipulated. We need all three of those things to line up on those major decisions. That's how the Holy Spirit wants to lead you. That's what it means to follow your good shepherd. He's not physically walking among us anymore. But he's left us a word and the Spirit and a church, a community and said, here, I'm gonna lead you through these three major means if we're willing to, to ask those things. Last picture, and then we'll be done. We're gonna take communion. One of the things I think for us, if you're, if you're a Christian, I think this is something, an uh, easy ditch to fall into. We wanna be led, and so many of you in integrity and diligence and faithfulness and love, you, you pray, and you say, God, would you lead me and would you direct me? And then what most of us do, because we're Americans, is then we go off and do our, we kind of run off and do whatever it is we feel like God is asking us to do. He's given us an assignment. That's even language that you hear in a church. He's given us an assignment, and then we go and complete that assignment and bring it back to him for a grade at the end of the night or at the end of the week. It's not really what he's looking for from us. Think about the difference between being a sailboat and being a rowboat. There's a, there's a, there are certain distances both a sailboat and a rowboat can cover. You're gonna be a lot more tired if you're rowing than if you're sailing, but you can still get there. There's a period of time in your life where you can do it on your own, where you can get the assignment from God and you can go make it happen. And based on your internal capacities, that may be a year, it may be a decade, it may be 20-something years. For most people, late 30s, To early 40s. That's when we hit the wall and realize I can't keep, that's why they call it a midlife crisis. We hit the wall and we're like, I can't keep doing all of this stuff on my own. And God is saying, I I know. I never wanted you to do all of those things on your own. You're not intended to be a rowboat. Yes, I'm telling you where I want you to go. I also would like to help you get there. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is described as wind. We want to be a sailboat. We do have responsibility to play. We have to put the sail up. We want to catch the wind. But we want our power source to be him and not us. I don't want to get there because I can row really hard. I want to get there because the wind is pushing me there. Empowering me, enabling me to get there. My thought is we got some rowboats in here this morning and it's so easy to fall into that. We do it unintentionally and uh, it, it, subconsciously in a lot of ways. We just take back control. We rely on the good gifts that God has given us in our desire to be obedient. We want to do the right thing. We want to please him. We want to honor him. But it becomes very difficult for us to do in our own strength. I think thinking something super easy, not super easy. It's simple. Those of you who are, this is an easy, excuse me, a simple one if you're married. Husbands, love your wives like Jesus loved the church. Can't be clearer. How did Jesus love the church? He died for the church. So what does that look like for us? We talk about washing the feet of our spouses. Again, simple. That's not an easy thing to do. And if you're doing that in your own strength, at some point you run out. At some point, no matter how wonderful she is, she's going to forget to say thank you. And then you get resentful or you're going to start keeping score in your mind. All of the things I've done for you and you haven't done enough for me and you start doing all that. Rowboat or a sailboat? What are you relying on? And again, I think for many of us, it's super easy to fall into that rowboat category. Part of being led by the Holy Spirit is asking him, To empower you to do the things that he's calling you to do. You don't have to check in with God in the morning and get the assignment. Then go and do your day on your own. And then check back in at the end of the day to see how you did. He wants to walk with us over the course of the day. Again, enabling and empowering. Never making, but absolutely giving us the resources that we need. Communion reminds us of that. All that we need. Everything that we need. Jesus gives to us. He's so much more than a cosmic eraser who just forgives us of our sins. He does that. But that's just the first step in a lifelong relationship with him. Again, where he wants to lead us and he wants to guide us. He wants to direct us as a good shepherd and he wants to fill us and empower us to do the things that he's asking us to do. So I want to take a few minutes and pray. If you're helping with communion, you can come forward. If you are helping with ministry, you can as well. That's lots and lots of information that may not tie together super well in your mind, so don't worry about it. It's all, it'll all be there. This is a question I want you thinking about. Two major questions, three. Particularly, if you would say right now, I'm suffering, and that I know that's a relative term. You don't live in Ukraine, you're not in a war zone. But if you would say, for me, this is suffering, would you ask this simple question? God, how do you want to use this to make me more like Jesus? If you're willing, Father, I want to cooperate with you. I want to be a lump of clay in your hands, not a block of marble. I don't want you to have to use a hammer and a chisel. How do you wanna use this difficulty? And see what comes to your mind. And then say yes. Okay. Not super thrilled about that, but I know it's important. I want to yield to you. Second question When you think about what motivates you, would you say you're led or would you say you're driven? Be honest. You know what the right answer is, but be honest. Would you say you're following a good shepherd who's out in front of you? Or would you say you're being driven by your own desire, maybe for good things, by fear, by expectation, either your own or your parents or your spouses, or by brokenness in your own heart that you've never asked God to heal? It may be piecemeal. You may say, you know, in these areas of my life, I do feel led, but when it comes to this, I'm driven. Would you be willing to repent of that this morning? Just acknowledge, God, I confess that's a sin. Jesus, I want to know you as my good shepherd. Even as I take communion, it reminds me, you laid down your life for me. You laid down your life for your sheep. Nobody does that. Would you give me grace to trust you more in this area of my life, to be led by you? Last question, sailboat or rowboat? Again, you know the right answer, but what's the honest answer? And it may be, again, compartmentalized. There may be areas of your life where you absolutely trust and rely on the Lord and others where you're you're like a duck, your feet are paddling as hard as you can under the water. Same thing, if you're willing, would you repent? God, I confess that in this area of my life, it's difficult for me to trust you. I have a tendency to want to kind of make things happen. Or maybe even I don't know how to trust you. I don't even know what it means to be empowered by you. But I want to, so would you help me? I pray you'd forgive me for trying to do your work in my strength. And as you come forward and take communion, would you recognize that it's, it's a picture of all of the resources that are available to you in Jesus Everything that you need, He has. And this bread and this juice that reminds us that our sins are forgiven, it's also, it's, that's, that's, the, that's the entry point, that's the doorway into this ongoing relationship with our Father, again, who gives us everything that we need and even more than we can ask or imagine. I pray, Holy Spirit, for everyone in this room, for kids, for students, for adults, for those who are struggling, for those who are thriving, for those who are suffering, and for those who are full of joy this morning. I pray that in all things you would be at work making us more like Jesus. We want to take on that family resemblance. I pray that in all things we would be led by our Good Shepherd and not driven by these other forces. And I pray that in In all things and in all ways, we would be moved along by by, by your wind, Holy Spirit, by your power, and not by our own. So would you help us as we take this reminder of all that Jesus did. I pray that it would be more than just a physical act, that you would feed our souls as well. In Jesus' name, amen. for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week.